Well, good morning. What a day it is. So it's, um, we are celebrating uh, the 4th of July uh, in a couple of days, um, Independence Day for our country. Um, but uh, today, more importantly, we celebrate the greatest independence that we received uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, his death, burial, and resurrection has set us free uh, from sin, from Satan, from hell and from death, um, the ultimate aspect of death. Uh, so even as we celebrate as our country, and we are so uh, thankful to have the freedoms that we have in this country, always remember the greatest um, freedom and greatest emancipator, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, you, if you are here, there are uh, sheets um, that you should have received when you came in. I'm not going to go through those, but there are announcements. There's some groups that are going on. Um, our key ministry that we are focusing on now is CareNet, which is here in Hackettstown. You could pray for them as they're looking for a new building. And so uh, they are not able to be in their building in Hackettstown right now, and they're looking for a new building. So you could pray for them as they are on a search for that. Um, all of our contact information. The pastors and elders are on that sheet as well. If you are watching us online, you can go to our website, uh, thechapelnj.org. If you are new to us, there are there's a welcome table outside. Uh, we would encourage you to go to the welcome table. Uh, they have a gift there, and we would love to uh, know of your attendance there as well, uh, so that we can connect with you moving forward. Uh, as well, if you are on our email list, I would encourage you to be on that email list. You will get emails throughout the week that will list out a, a series of prayer requests. And we've had a series of prayer requests that have come out this week, especially for Dan Slack. Uh, Dan Slack went through his surgery. Um, I had texted uh, Pam and uh, Dan about the fact that he is a very strong man, but he has an even stronger God. And uh, so the man who had open heart surgery just several days ago is coming home uh, this morning. So, uh, so we are so very thankful for that. Uh, that is a blessing. But he's got a long road uh, to recovery. Uh, we continue to pray for uh, those of our congregation that are struggling as well. I will open us in a word of prayer. I just want to read this passage of Scripture to you as we pray. It's found in Psalm 22. I'm sorry, 2 Samuel chapter 22, and it goes this way. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, and my savior. Do you hear all those um, personal references to God? For who is God beside the Lord? Who is the rock except our God? The Lord lives. Praise be to the rock. Exalted be to my God, the rock and my savior. Therefore, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing praise to your name. Almost high. Well, let's go to him in prayer. Father, David was able to sing of you and say of you that you're his rock, his fortress, his deliverer. Uh, your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, talked about we can build our, rock, our, our lives on a rock or we can build our lives on sand. Far too often, Lord, we build our lives on sand and the winds and the waves of life come and it beats against that house and it, and it falls. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to build our lives on you, the rock, the fortress, our deliverer. 
Lord, I pray that you would help us to see you as our shield, our salvation, our refuge, our Savior. I thank you for the precious blood of your Lord Jesus Christ that um, was shed for us so that we could have a relationship with you. I thank you that we've been adopted into your family through Christ. I thank you for the greatest counsel in the world, the Holy Spirit that lives in us. We praise you today. We thank you for the word from which we will sing. I thank you for the word from which we will hear preached by Pastor Doug today. We thank you for the word that guides us every day. Lord, I pray um, for those in our congregation that continue to struggle. Father, for Linda Matthews at home. Father, I pray that you would continue to wrap your arms around her and comfort her and strengthen her. Lord, for Diana Kelly, who is seen in the back there, Lord, I thank you that she's here. I pray uh, continued um, growth for her and healing for her. Uh, Lord, there's so many that are connected to our congregation that are struggling right now, more than I can answer, uh, speak right now, but you know every one of them. I thank you for Dan, Father. I thank you that um, you've taken him through cancer, and now you're taking him through this heart issue. I pray for his recovery. I pray that you give him strength. Thank you that he's coming home on your Lord's Day. And today, Father, as we worship you, I pray that we would honor you and reflect you. And I want you to see yourself as majesty in our lives. In Jesus' matchless and holy name we pray. Amen. Okay, so just real quick, uh, if you'll notice that the person at the keyboard you do not recognize, okay? This is, uh, Seth is actually the manager of my brother's Ace Hardware store. He's a wonderful pianist. And we have a lot of people out today because there's the wedding that we mentioned last Sunday. So, so that we, the elephant in the room is, who's playing the keyboard? So now you know, it's Seth. Okay, everybody good on that? Okay, thank you for coming, Seth. Secondly, I want to acknowledge the Khan family. If you guys can just raise your hands, you don't have to stand up. But uh, if you've been around a long time, you know them. If you have not been around a long time, you can say hi to them today, okay? They're amongst our closest friends as a family, and we, uh, we love them and are grateful to have them here today, okay? So uh, why don't you stand together with me, and uh, let's join our hearts together in the worship of our Savior. you. 
pray. Our glorious and heavenly Father, you are great, dear Lord. You are mighty. And you are the rock of which we build our lives upon. And we pray that we would turn our eyes to you when it's difficult, when we have times of trouble, when we're sick, when we don't know where to turn, when we have loved ones who are hurting and pain and sick. I just pray, dear Lord, that uh, we remember these songs as we go throughout the week. It's a great worship. I want to thank you, dear Lord, for the opportunity that we have to come together as a family, a family of Christ. I pray that you be with Doug as he brings us this lesson this morning. Open our hearts, dear Lord. Open our hearts, our minds, our eyes to what you have to say. Your spirit touches each of us in a different way. And I pray, dear Lord, we're able to walk away and feel that presence. Be with us now. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I'll stand here. <laughs> so we're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 5. And we're going, I believe it's one through six, right? Seven. Seven. I have a special concern for you, church leaders. I know what it's like to be a leader. And on Christ's suffering as well as coming in glory. Here's my concern. That you care for God's flock with all the diligence of a shepherd. Not because you have to, but because you want to please God. Not calculating what you can get out of it, but acting spontaneously. Not bossily telling others what to do, but tenderly showing them away. When God, who is the best shepherd of all, comes out in the open with his rule, he'll see that you've done it right and commend you lavishly. And you, who are youngest, must follow your leaders. But all of you, leaders and followers alike, are to be down to earth with each other, for God has had it with the proud, but he takes delight in the just, plain people. So be content with who you are and don't put on airs. God's strong hand is on you. He'll promote you at the right time. Live carefully before God. He is the most careful with you. Thank you, Victor. It's good to have you here. Uh, children ages five to eight, you can slip out at this time for junior church. If you're older than that, we see you slip out, we're going to stop you. No, we won't, we won't, we won't. Um, if you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses uh, 1 to 7 in our time together this morning. Um, do churches ever get messy, sloppy? frustrating. Yeah, I mean, like our homes, our families, right? I mean, is, is your family like always this perfect, even keel? I don't think so, right? There's always bumps up, up and down. And, and, and so, like the family, the church is an institution that God has established, and we don't just throw it to the wind because our experiences don't always work out so well. But that's the tendency sometimes, it seems to me especially with churches. Now, you're here. I don't, I'm preaching to the choir because, like, you came. But church can be messy. We know this from afar. Um, 
if you do any reading in the area of, of churches, um, you know there's been a lot of really, really bad experiences that people have gone through. Um, did you ever hear the name Mark Driscoll? Maybe you have, maybe you hadn't. If you do anything in, in evangelicalism, though, you would have heard his name a couple years back. And completely did things in that church that were completely inappropriate, and the whole thing came crashing down. They, Christianity Today actually has a podcast on it, and I think it's called The Rise and Demise of Morris Hill. Did you ever hear the name Ravi Zacharias? Was that a shocker? I mean, honestly, I love this stuff. And you, you can kind of, from afar, you can see these different ministries in these different churches, and you go, man, this is, this is hard. I have, a, I have a good friend who pastors in Pennsylvania somewhere, and um, it, 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 the, the messiness can often come from the leadership down, right? But it can also come from from those, the people up. I have this good friend, he ministers, like I said, in, in uh, Pennsylvania. And he, he's like the most humble, kind, gracious guy you could ever have met. I mean, just sweet off the charts. And a uh, couple kind of got real close to him and his family and just kind of got to know them. He entrusted himself to them. You know, all, all the stuff that you do. Sure enough, that guy used it to manipulate and connive and control and to try to remove him from the pastorate in that entire process. And, and he was devastated, completely devastated from it. So it can happen either direction. And it, so it can come this way, it can work this way, and it can work this way. Do, do church members act, ever have problems with each other? Oh, boy. You see? So when Peter begins writing about the church, and he's looking mostly at these relationships, you know, from the elders down to the people and people back and so forth, um, he's got his thumb on what we all struggle with is when you bring a bunch of people together and you say, just like, get together. Doesn't always work so well. But we don't throw it out. Rather, we seek to move back toward it in a way that honors God. I don't know what your own experience is. But my guess is, if you've been around church for any period of time, you could tell me stories. So we can look at, a, a, at the church from afar and you can say, yeah. And we can also look at it up close in our own experiences and go like, yeah, Right? So rather than throw to the wind, by God's grace, let's seek to be the people of God as God intended in this passage. And, and so Peter is going to talk about both sides. Um, what he's going to do, and, and, and you can see it up there on the, on the screen. Well, actually, I can see it on that screen. You can see it on that screen, but it's the same thing. Um, He's going to talk about distinct roles in the church first. And so leadership and membership, okay? Uh, and then after he talks about each one of those, he's going to switch gears and he's going to talk about an identical attitude that 
all of us should have, whether you're talking about a leader or whether you're talking about a member. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. And so that's pretty much where we're going today. Seven verses, we'll zip through it and we'll be done. But pray that God speaks to you. What does God want to do in your life in the church so that we can be the church that God's called us to be? Does, does that make sense? Okay, so let's jump in and see what he says here. Um, in, in, in the first section, like I said, there's distinctions in the church. In the first four verses, he's going to talk about the leadership. And, and really, it's the kind of thing that, that you, should, you should be seeing in your leaders. Now, let me just tell you, if you look at the elders here, look at all, each one of us, you're going to find that each one of us is flawed. Okay, so none of us bats a thousand. But our prayer is that this would be a greater reality in our lives, all right? So what does he tell leadership to do? And you may be sitting there saying, got off on that one, it's what they're supposed to do. You're gonna find out that these principles are principles that all of us should be applying wherever we have an opportunity to influence others, okay? So watch for that as we talk our way through this passage. So again, let me just read a couple of verses. Let me just read a, a verse one here to kind of set the scene because before he actually jumps in and tells us what to do, Peter tells us a little bit about himself. And this is, this is really cool. So stay with me. Listen to what he says. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. So before, before Peter says anything else, he comes to them as a fellow struggler, as one who's seeking to lead in a way that honors Christ. And I, I want you to think about this for just a moment. Twice in the book of 1 Peter, Jesus Christ is called our shepherd. Back at the end of chapter 2, and again here in chapter 5 and verse, um, verse 4. And here's what's fascinating to me. Sometimes when we read the idea of shepherd, because he, he's go, Peter's going to go on to say he wants us, leaders, to shepherd the people under our care. And here's what's so interesting. When we read that, we may quickly just have some picture of some guy with a sheep, and, and that's true. But there's a whole rich theology behind what's going on here. If we had time, I would love to go back and read the entire chapter, Ezekiel chapter 34. It's such a fascinating chapter. Because in the Old Testament period, God will often liken leaders in the church to shepherds. And in Ezekiel chapter 34, God is completely disgusted with the leaders in Israel. He says, you're supposed to be shepherds. And instead, what you do is you use the people, you manipulate the people, and you connive, and you lie, and you steal, and you do all these. And God says, I have had it with that. Oh, and, and it's not just the shepherds to the sheep. He has, also has a whole section in there where he talks about how the sheep treat the sheep. And he says, some of you sheep are, are very well fed. And you knock off other sheep and they're lean and, and poor and all. And so he talks about sheep mistreating sheep and he shepherds mistreating sheep. And it's a mess, complete mess. 
And into that, God says, I am going to intervene. And I am going to come and I am going to shepherd my people. And I'm going to do it by bringing a Davidic king. And he will shepherd for me. So if you're the people of God, if you're Israel in the Old Testament coming into the first century, you're saying, when do we get a good shepherd? And into that scene comes Jesus Christ. And as John chapter 10 tells us, Jesus says there's hirelings and there's people that do all kinds of things. They manipulate, they misuse, they don't care, they don't sacrifice. But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And I am going to give my life for my sheep because I love them, which is exactly what he does. But before he leaves, he calls Peter in John chapter 21. And folks, I want you to think about this. Do you know there is nothing more precious to God than his sheep? Do you know that? If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've trusted him. You are his sheep. He loves his sheep. And he calls Peter in John chapter 21. Peter, who has denied him three times, he calls him. And and in that encounter, when he's talking to Peter about the nature of his love, they go back and forth, go back and forth. But he three times says to Peter, Peter, I know you're not a perfect man, but I'm passing the baton to you. I will continue to work, obviously, but I'm passing the baton to you, and I want you to shepherd my sheep. I want you to care for my lambs. And Peter, over the next 30 years, you're going to learn what it means to shepherd my sheep. And you're going to face difficulty, Peter, and it's going to end in your martyrdom. But you will learn to shepherd my sheep. Peter is at the end of his life in 1 Peter chapter 5. For 30 years, he has suffered for the name of Christ. He has invested in people. He's had times have had people that have ridiculed him and walked away from the faith, but he's continued to shepherd. He's continued to shepherd. And as he opens up in 1 Peter 5, he says to fellow elders, it's not easy. I'm I'm an elder too. I, I, I know how hard it can be for a whole variety of reasons. And in their day, it was even harder because you had oppression coming from the outside. But he says, I tell you as a fellow fellow elder, one who is completely confident that one day we will stand in glory and bask in the glory of Christ. Shepherd God's flock. Do you see how the baton gets passed on? God says we need someone to shepherd. The ultimate shepherd comes, Jesus Christ. And he asks Peter, by my power, through my spirit, shepherd the flock. And Peter takes the baton and he passes it on to these other elders. And he says, shepherd the the sheep of God, the flock of God. And then they pass it on to other baton, and it gets passed on. And folks, it's been being passed on for 2,000 years. You say, but some people don't pick up the baton very well. You're right, you're right. 
but it doesn't change the fact of what God wants for us. So Peter, before he even tells him what to do, he says, I know. I'm not perfect, but I've been at it for, for 30 years. And I want you to do the same. So, what is entailed in this? Notice what he says. Verse 2. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. And then what he does here is he gives a series of not this, but this. Now, why would he say, don't do this? You know why? Because for leadership sometimes, they're tempted to do that. So he says, don't do that. Rather, do this. This is how I want you to oversee and care for the flock as leaders. This is what I want you to do. So look at the not but things that go on here. Not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Now that's, in anything that we have to do, this stuff happens. Have you ever, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're different than me. But, like, I don't get up in the morning and the first thing I do, jump out of bed and go, yippee, this is going to be a great day. I just, man, alive. I, I could have gone with another three less hours of sleep. And I'm wah, hey, honey, you know. No, and I, you know, I just, I kind of roll out of bed, you know, stand up, try to brace myself, make sure I don't fall, you know, and find my way to the bathroom and then hopefully things progress from there. But, but, I mean, so, so a lot of us don't just go like yippee when it comes to life, do you? I mean, you know, like the sink breaks. You go like yippee, broken sink, this will be, no, I mean, uh, right? I mean, I get it. But one of the things, one of the things that happens here, and, and especially in their day, but in our day, just for different reasons. When you're given responsibility, because in their day, if the church is being, is suffering for the name of Christ, Guess who the opposition tends to come after first? The leadership. So Peter says, look, don't just go like, oh, this leadership thing, bummer. Oh, I guess. Oh, man. All right. No, no. He says, I I want you to be willing. I want you to move toward it with passion. Well, why? Because... It's according to the will of God. It makes no sense if there's not a God in heaven. Fathers, husbands, it would be much easier sometimes in our homes just to push it aside because it's too much of a pain. I don't want to deal with this. Oh no. Because there's a God in heaven that calls you to lovingly lead in your home you move back into that world in a way that honors him. That's what we're called to do. And so he says to the leaders, look, I don't want you to just do this because you're obligated to do it. Like, oh, brother, whose hand do I have to shake this morning? No. Move toward those people eagerly because God allows you to do this for him. See the difference? So, Don't just do it out of obligation, like a bummer, but rather do it willingly because of God. Secondly, 
Notice what he, his second one. Um, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. I have a, a friend, former student, who's very active in ministry in Egypt. He's Egyptian. And um, he, uh, he was talking, I was reading some stuff that he had done up recently, and w- one of the things he was sharing was that he has found repeatedly when he goes back into Egypt, and it's not just Egypt, it's everywhere, okay? I'm just using this as an illustration. He said, because the, the Christian church often in Egypt feels like it's being oppressed, okay? But he says, I'll often go in and I'll say, look, I'm gonna preach the gospel. He's, he's a man of some wealth, and he says, and I wanna give money to the needy people in, in your community. I want to find ways to feed them. I want to, I just, I want to help any way I can. And he's, he was just cataloging for me several times in which someone would say, a pastor would say, oh, I will, if you'll send the funds to me, I'll make sure they all get distributed appropriately to the people in the church. And maybe we can even build this little facility and it will feed people and all these kinds. And he's going like, all right, I'm all in. And he said, I was naive about it. And they completely took that money and used it for themselves. And he said, I've seen that happen again and again. And I, 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 I reach out and I trust people who say, I'm a leader in the church. And you can trust me with your money. And instead, they turn right around and they use it for themselves. Folks, That happens so often in religious settings. You know why? Because people trust. They think, if I give it here, they'll use it correctly because that's a person, a man of God. And you will find some of your greatest charlatans in the church of Jesus Christ who profess to know him. It's terrible. And... If you find yourself connected with a ministry like that, run. If some guy says, send me money and I'll send you a little handkerchief that'll help you feel better, run. Just take off and go. Have nothing to do with it. They're manipulating, using, taking from you. It's wrong. He says, I want people to shepherd and lead in such a way that it's not merely an obligation. It's something they're willing to do under God. And I don't want them to do it to get. I want them to do it to give. Wow. Their situation may be different than ours, but the problem is people are people all over the world, right? And sinners are sinners. So don't do it this way, but this way. Don't do it this way, but this way, and his, his last comparison comes there in verse four, sorry, verse three. Not lording it over the, those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Back in Matthew chapter 20, <laughs> you have to love the disciples. You know what I love about the disciples in the gospels? They do and say everything that we're at least thinking right? 
And so we see them sometimes, we go like, I, can you believe those guys? And then you go like, that's me. Yeah, yeah, that happens again and again. And in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus has just unburdened his heart and he said, I am going to die for the sins of the world. I'm going to suffer for you guys and I'm coming out of the grave. Just know it, this thing's working. And you would think coming out of that, they would say like, oh, that is so wonderful. Man, we are so blessed. Oh man, I just want to be like Jesus. Is that what they do? No, they start thinking about death and no, that's not supposed to happen and kingdom and greatness. and Hey, I'm better than you. Get out of here. And they start, you know, all the stuff. They start bickering amongst themselves and griping and complaining and all that stuff. And Jesus stops them. He says, guys, no, 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 no. No. The world around you, same word, lords it over people. It uses its position to manipulate and to control for its own purposes. It should not be so among you. Rather, you should be servant leaders who move back into your world to give good and kindness to everyone you meet because Jesus says, in my view, that's greatness because the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Same word. And I think that thing got lodged into Peter's mind. Yeah, I remember when Jesus said, not lording it over like, like the Gentiles. And Peter says, don't do that. Don't be demanding. And I love it. He says, don't lord it over those that have been allotted to you. Here's the bottom line. No pastor owns any parishioner. Does he? Nope. We are at best stewards of who God owns. And we are under shepherds. Jesus is the chief shepherd. And we are called to love and to always ask the question, God, as I approach this person, I'm approaching somebody who you love and who you own. I don't own them, but you called me to this stewardship position. How can I lead and influence in a way that will honor you? Do you see the difference? And the best way to do that is to be out front living like Jesus Christ before them. I mean, you can rail all day and tell people, you need to serve, get serving, love people, blah, blah, blah. And it's all true. But it's a little bit easier when the guy that's railing is actually doing it. Right? And he says, Peter says, look, nobody shepherds perfectly. But I don't want you to do it merely because you have to. I want you to do it because you want to, because you're gods and they're gods. I, I, I don't want you to try to get from people. I want you to give to people. And I don't want you to manipulate and control and demand and act like you own. I want you to set an example. And still call them to follow, but you're calling them to follow by, you're not saying go there, you're saying come follow me because I'm following Christ. Make sense? He says, that's what I want for you, shepherds. And when you do that in verse four, Look at the promise. And when the chief shepherd appears, 
you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Now, there, there's debates uh, over what this crown is exactly and if it's only for pastors. Um, I tend to think it's not only for pastors. I think it's broadly for, for, for faithful believers. Only because the way the, the glory language is used both in chapter 4 and again here in chapter 5. It just, I, I, don't, I don't think it's something specific. And I think what it's just saying is in eternity, we will constantly be reminded of a faithful, gracious, kind God, which, which, which honors those who follow him only by his strength anyway. It's an, it's an amazing thing. All I want to do is get into heaven, you know? I'm okay with a bleacher's way at the top. But that's not what the text tells us. God wants to embrace us for all eternity as his people. It's beautiful. And he offers them this reward. He switches gears then in verse 5. And he talks to what's called the younger. And, and again, there's, there's some interpretive challenges here. So let me just read the verse. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. Now, it may be when he uses the word younger there that he's just referring to a group within the church. Maybe there's some young guys who are just always like kind of pushing and and so Peter's saying, hey guys, I got to talk to you as a specific group. Could be, could be. And if that's the case, it still has application for all of us. Or it could just be his way to say the non-elders. So all of you who are younger, well, I'm older than the elders here at the chapel. Well, that's not the point. It just means you're in a position of submission or subordination. And so I think he's probably more using it the second way than the first. Either way, the application is going to be the same. And what he says is, I want you to submit to those in authority. Does that go down very well with you? If I stand up to you and I say, "Um, you need to submit to those in authority. Is the first thing you go like, yeah, you sign me up. You know? Now, I I think for, for a lot of us, we go like, well, qualifications here. Like, right? What do you mean? In the book of 1 Peter, you can see up there on the the screen, he's talked often about submission in in, in the civic area, how we respond to our government. Um, In the occupational area, how we relate, we would say, to an employer. Um, In the domestic area, how women, wives, are to relate to their husbands. And now ecclesiastically, or just in the churchy area, if you like that term better, in the churchy area, how people are supposed to respond to their leaders. And he says, I want you to submit. You know what he tells me, though? He doesn't tell the leaders, force them to submit. It's not my job. It's not my job to come in and say, John, you will submit to me. And Chris, you too. That's not what... It's not, how it works. it's not how it works in your family either, is it? It's not the husband's job to say, woman, submit. No, it's not. It's always what the individual chooses to do and extends to do under ultimately the authority of God based on his strength for his glory. And 
So what is submission? Submission is this impulse in which I seek to respect, support, and follow one in leadership as much as obedience to Christ will allow. I mean, if people tell you in leadership, hey, you need to do this, you're like, that is against the Bible. Then you say, hey, look, I'm not against you, but like, no, I'm not. Forget it, pal. No, you can't do it. You can't do it in your home, and you can't do it in the church. If it's a clear command of God, no way. Submission, submission's an interesting thing, like, because you're saying, they think, but this, this message is kind of like working your side of the street, isn't it, a little bit? You know, here you are, one of the leaders, and you're saying, hey, you guys should submit to leadership. Like, it seems kind of self-serving. Well, I mean, I'm just trying to preach the text, okay? So, but when I, when I go to work on Monday morning, I'm on the other end. I teach in a Bible college. Um, do I always agree with everything that, the, the decisions that are made by the administration? Absolutely not. And I tell them which probably surprises you, no. But, but I should be open and I should be honest, but I should be kind and respectful and give the rationale for what I believe. And God will often use that with people in authority to have, have them change their mind. I mean, that's how it works. So to submit means like, whenever you see us, you never say a word, just, oh, no. You're my brother and sister in Christ. You should be open and honest with us. And when things you, you don't like or suggestions you have, make them. Some of you say, oh, I've done it before and nobody listens. Do it again. And do it in such a way, though, that's respectful. That, that is, is best, as best as obedience to Christ will allow, you're supporting them in their leadership. God has established hierarchy in all institutions in humanity. You may like it, you may not like it. But all of us are in submission to somebody, if no one else to God. It's just the way it works. And so sometimes I'm here and sometimes I'm here. It's just the way it works. And so the question is, is my God so big that I can entrust to him, them, even when I have some questions about the wisdom of a decision that they've made. Ladies, don't you know that in the home sometimes? With your husbands. Like, do are your husbands like always? I mean, apart from Sherry's husband. I mean, <laughs> I'm kidding, it's a joke. No, no, but I mean, none of us bat a thousand. Uh, we strike out from time to time, you know, with our decision making. And so you've got, we need, what I love about my wife is she's very kind, but, she's, but she also tells, tells, tells me how she feels, and I need that. Because she, she's also my partner. And she comes and she shares and she talks, and it's like, yeah, that's really good. Yep, I'm going to change on this one. But she does it in such a way that she's not saying, get out of the way, Doug, I'll just lead on this thing. She does it in a way that she says, how can I help you to lead better? See, see the difference? It's a big difference. I need my wife's input. We, as a pastoral and elder board, we need your input. 
It's just how we do it. For the glory of God and for the good of people. So he talks about these two distinct roles. And then, and I'll, I'll move more quickly through these remaining verses. He moves from talking about distinct roles to identical attitudes. It doesn't matter if you're a leader. It doesn't matter if you're a member in the church. It doesn't matter. The attitude is the same. Listen to what he says um, here at the end of verse five. All of you, you know what all of you means? That means everybody, right? I mean everybody, okay? All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows grace to the humble. Let me just put that up there. Okay, yeah. Here's what's really interesting to me about humility. Sometimes people think humility is this. You know, I mean, like, I don't even look at people because I'm just such a humble. That's not humility. Often the idea is, is it's, 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 it can sometimes be used of a horse and a stallion where there's strength under control. But what it's referring to here, humility at the end of the day is God, there's always a vertical aspect and there's a horizontal aspect. The vertical aspect is I'm God-centered and God-dependent. The horizontal aspect is I'm people-oriented and self-sacrificial. So in verse, in verse five here, I'm sorry, verse five uh, B here, he's focusing on this. And in verses six and seven, he's focusing on this. So he says, clothe yourself. In other words, what I want you to do is, I want you to completely embrace yourself with the spirit of humility that moves toward other people in grace and in love. So, if I'm a leader, what I do is I come in and you share a need and I look back at you and I say, well, I'm not going to help with that because, you know, I'm a pastor. That's not humility. Humility says, I'm centered on God, not myself. I need you, God, because I don't want to do what I'm being asked to do right now, but I, I need you. And I want to be oriented to help that other person at great cost to myself. That's being humble toward others, leaders down. How, how, how about between members? Same thing. Where, where you meet another brother or sister in Christ, and you go like, yeah, I don't know. No, 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 no. Who will you be centered on? God or yourself? Who will you depend upon? God or yourself? Who will you sacrifice for? You see? It doesn't matter. In the church of Jesus Christ, whether you're looking at leaders or whether you're looking at members of the church, in their relationship here or in the relationship with one another, he just says, look, all of you, I don't care. If you're breathing, it's you. Be humble horizontally toward one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Quote coming right out of Proverbs chapter three, which is also quoted by James. <sighs> I, um, 
I don't want to be on the other team from God. Do you? You know, like when I was younger and we, we would uh, pick up teams, you know, for soccer or football or whatever you're playing. Um, you know, like if you're picking, you know, you want to pick the right people. Because you're thinking like, if that guy's on the other team, we are in a heap of trouble. And you're right. What about if God is on the other team? What about if God is taking a stance against Doug Finkbarner, even though he loves me, he's taking a stance against me because I've taken a stance against him. God will oppose those who oppose him but he will graciously enable and transform those who submit to him. See the difference? So in my relationship with you and your relationship with me and your relationship with each other, humility, God-centered, God-dependent, people-oriented. Why? So that God might extend his enabling grace and transformative work into our lives. He then moves to the vertical. Look what he says here in verse six. Therefore, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. You see what he's just done here now? So now he's he's switched here. So in verses six and seven, he's talking about the vertical. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time, casting all your care on him because he cares for you. You know what I love? I, I love so much about this. Remember, remember again, this is bringing out that idea of God-centered, God-dependent. I've been at Christianity since I was eight. That's a long time. And in many ways, I still feel like such a novice. Like this dependent thing, I don't like it sometimes. Do you? I would really like to be able to control the whole thing all by myself. Thank you. But I can't. And he says, for all of us, whatever God calls us to, whatever circumstance we have to face, not only in the church, but outside the church, circumstances, whatever, stay God-centered and God-dependent and people-oriented. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. In other words, you can't, but he can. And he will in his time. The text says, so that he may lift you up in due time. When is that? I don't know. Is that in this world? Sometimes not. But it's ultimately true. This text tells me God can, but it also tells me God loves me, God cares. Casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. I mean, what would it be like if God was mighty and powerful but unloving? And you go, boy, God, it'd be really great if you could give me a break right now. God says, think by your, you're nothing. Get out of here. He can, but he won't. What if he was just loving, but he had no power? Oh, I could come to him and he could say, oh, yeah, life is rough. Oh, man, oh, yeah, oh. But nothing would change. But what if he cares and he can? 
that changes everything. And this text says, whatever you're going through with other people, circumstantially, in the church, outside the church, you can humbly come before God and say, God, I need you. I want you. Help me. And it doesn't matter how many times we cast our care upon him. Matter of fact, he wants it all the time. I love it. Can you imagine if, some, if one of the angels said, Finkbeiner's back again. He's got another request. It was the same one he gave you yesterday. Oh, man, stick him at the back of the line. Never! Because he cares for you. You can take that burden off of your shoulders and you can place it on a God who loves you, he cares, and he can do anything, and he will do what is best for you at the end of the day. Always. Stay dependent on him. Stay, stay dependent, dependent on him and centered on him as you reach out and love others. What if we as a church, live that way. Can you imagine? And, and, and I, I want to commend um, some of the godliest, most wonderful people I've ever met are here at the chapel. Unless you're a complete put on, but I don't, I don't think so. And so I really commend so many saints of God who live this out. But what if we all lived it out? What if humility toward God and toward others so shaped us that it didn't matter what our role was, it impacted everything that we did? Ladies, how easy would it be to follow the leadership of a husband who's a humble, loving servant leadership, leader? Man, that's, that's a sweet deal. It should be that way in the church. And so both those who are in authority and those who are in a position of submission, when we live out of a spirit of humility, God is glorified and people are blessed. It always works that way. So, kind of a, as God's people, let us humbly lead and humbly follow because of God's sovereign design for us and his gracious blessing and enablement upon us. God, give us that kind of a church. Father, these are not easy words to preach because at least for me, I see my own deficits and challenges along the way. And I'm sure that's also true for my brother and sister in Christ. Lord, we... Um, if we shift into neutral, it's all about us. May it all be about you. May we know the joy and the wonder of depending and relying upon you so that we might be freed to move back into all of our relationships with the spirit of sacrificial love. Whatever our role is in the church, in the home, in the community, at work, it will permeate everything. So Lord, we would pray that you would do your good work in our lives for your glory 
and for our good. In Christ's name I pray, amen.
Lord, we surrender, we give ourselves to you. Lord, fill us with your love and power. Let your blessings fall upon us. We thank you for your never-ending love for us and for this time that we have spent together learning more about you and worshiping your name. We ask that you please guide us in your, our daily lives to love you and love our others. Bless us as we leave today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.